Well, good morning, church family, and if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, uh, we're happy to get the opportunity to worship with you. Uh, my name's Randy, and I'm uh, privileged to be the senior minister here at the church. We're in a series on uh, generosity, and last week we learned that generosity is really more than just about money. Uh, our big idea last week was that mercy... Mercy, not money, is the means to generosity. We talked about the generous life and that there are currencies of generosity that go beyond money, like time, being generous with our time, being generous with our relational energy, uh, being re uh, uh, generous with hospitality, being generous with ministry, uh, serving, meeting needs with love. And today we're going to talk about being generous with power. The relinquishing, giving power uh, to empower others. Um, two movies come to my mind when I think about today's topic on generosity and power. The first movie is an old movie with Harrison Ford. Uh, it's not Indiana Jones, not that one. It's Regarding Henry. Regarding Henry. Regarding Henry, Harrison Ford plays this high-powered, very gifted, talented, ruthless uh, Manhattan attorney. He's a star in his law firm. He has just won a huge case for his firm by withholding verdict-changing information from the opposing counsel. And... He's won his firm a lot of money. And he has a terrible relationship with his wife, a dysfunctional relationship with his teenage daughter. He has a uh, secret mistress on the side. Uh, but I'm telling you, he's a really good attorney in the courtroom. He's just come off this huge win. So they live in downtown New York, live in Manhattan, and there's a scene where he goes into a corner store in order to pick up something, and he interrupts a robbery in place. And he gets shot in the head. He suffers brain damage. Uh, with time and therapy, he recovers some, but he has amnesia. And he can't remember the jerk that he used to be. And he can't, he can't remember the evil jerk that he used to be. And as the movie progresses, he learns about the person that he was, and he doesn't like it one bit. And he wants to change. Well, his law firm doesn't know what to do with this. And his wife and his daughter, they're kind of like... You know, is this too good to be true? They're kind of hesitant. Is this really for real? Is he going to wake up and realize what he used to be and then go back to that? And it's this story about a conversion. And what I really like about the movie is the tagline. The story of the man who had everything but found something more. Now that'll preach. Yeah. There's a sermon there. 
In fact, I wonder if the writer to that movie had read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. That's where we are this morning regarding Zacchaeus. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. You'll find that on page 878 of your church Bibles. And we're going to look about this man who converted, who changed. And what brought about this change? This man who had everything but found something, someone more. Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho. Now that's Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word. So Luke tells us that Jesus was passing through Jericho. He was on his way to Jerusalem and the cross. What's he been doing up to this time? Well, if you just glance back in your Bibles at Luke chapters 17 and 18, you'll see, and Luke wants us to see, that Jesus has been spending time with the marginalized, with those who are vulnerable in culture, in society, with those who have no voice. So in Luke chapter 17, Jesus heals 10 who had leprosy. And then in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells two parables about marginalized people, a widow and a tax collector, holding them as heroes. Uh, And then later on in Luke chapter 18, you'll see that Jesus receives the infants and the toddlers, let the children come to me, and he blesses them. He welcomes the most vulnerable in that culture. And then finally, In Luke chapter 18, just before the verses that we just read, Jesus heals a blind beggar. So all of these vignettes are strategically situated at Luke's choice to communicate that Christ is focusing upon those who are overlooked in culture. And here's what you really need to understand. Because Luke's gospel 
was produced by and for someone named Theophilus. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And Theophilus commissioned Luke to write an eyewitness account about the life of Christ. And then what would he do with that? Would he just put it on a shelf? No. No, back in that day, uh, Theophilus, a wealthy Roman patron, would invite his friends and family to his place, to his home, and there would be a reading of Luke's gospel. Now, you know, we're the Netflix, Amazon Prime generation, and we're going, who would come to spend an evening listening to someone read? Well, these folks did. That, that was their, uh, in, in very picturesque terms, uh, who Jesus was and his life and his reality. And so uh, what is happening is that those who are there at Theophilus' home is hearing about this God-man who pays attention to those who are invisible in culture. And Jesus, Jesus loves the outcasts, the the, the blind, the leprous, the underage, and yes, the, the corrupt wealthy. They're among the outcasts that Jesus loves. And that's why he's in Jericho. He's passing through Jericho before he goes to the cross. Jericho is the oldest inhabited city on the face of the earth. Did you know that? And did you also know that it's the lowest city on the face of the earth? 846 feet below sea level, to be exact. Write that down in your notes. <laughs> By the way, Champaign's about 732 feet above sea level, 731 feet above sea level now, right? So, first century Jericho was an attractive community. It was a Nicknamed the City of Palms. It was um, in an arid part of the world, but there were springs and irrigation and uh, a strategic military route uh, was there. And so it was kind of a recession-proof zone. And there was a trade route that went through uh, 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 Jericho. And those trade routes meant toll booths. And those toll booths were staffed by toll collectors Think Matthew, the Apostle Matthew. So there's uh, toll collectors hired by and supervised by chief toll tax officers. Verse 2, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Notice that Luke tells us that he wasn't just a rich chief tax collector. He was a tax collector, and he was rich. That's important. That phrase is intentionally sectioned off to let you know uh, how wealthy he was. The, the Roman Empire collected taxes uh, by auctioning off uh, territories of their empire to the highest bidder. And so someone like Zacchaeus would pay Rome ahead of time for the privilege of taxing the people in that particular territory. And Rome said, here's the fixed amount that we want, and whatever you can get beyond that, you can keep, which 
made the system ripe for corruption, but Rome didn't care because from their point of view, uh, the military kept the peace, and that's the price of peace. And so Zacchaeus was the chief collector who had a staff of lieutenants who did all the legwork, and, and so Zacchaeus's wealth came from the locals, and the taxes didn't stay in Jericho. The people of Jericho didn't just say, well, at least our taxes are going to keep the roads paved. No, 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 no. Their taxes went to keep Rome's roads paved. They still had all the potholes. And, and, but Zacchaeus kept the cream. He kept the commission. And so his house was nicer than theirs. And his animals were healthier. His property was more well manicured, and his clothes, his stuff, his appearance is all better. And everybody saw that. And every time Zacchaeus walked downtown, people would look at him and say, well, That's my shirt. And that, that, that's, that's my donkey. And, you know, that's, that's my extra food. Zacchaeus was corrupt, and they couldn't touch him because Rome protected him. You all remember Bernie Madoff? Remember him? It was about 10 years ago, actually March of 2009, he pled guilty to 11 federal felonies. And uh, he had turned his wealth management firm into a massive Ponzi scheme that defrauded people to the tune of $65 billion. And he was sentenced to 150 years in prison. He'll die in jail. And thousands lost their life savings and, and their retirement funds. I mean, to say in certain communities that Madoff remains one of the most hated men in the country, that's an understatement. What if he hadn't gone to jail? What if the government said, well, we don't have a law to protect guys like him from the public? Especially as long as we get our tax. See? Well, that's Zacchaeus. That's Zacchaeus. And ironically, you know what his name means? Righteous one. No kidding. Righteous one. But he wasn't. He had all the stuff you can imagine. But maybe there was something missing. I think that's what verse 3 is trying to communicate. He was rich and he was seeking to see. <laughs> he was seeking to see. That's an interesting eyewitness detail, right? So here we have this, this Hebrew trader in cahoots with Rome, a, a, a guy who has every material possession you could ever want. And he learns that Jesus is passing through Jericho, and he is seeking to see. Now, why would someone like Zacchaeus be interested in seeing someone like Jesus? Was he curious? If so, why was he curious? What made him curious? Was there something he was seeking to see? He was seeking. Was there something missing in his life, even with all he had, that led him to the conclusion that there must be something more? To life, yeah. All he could ever have materially, but his soul was empty and shriveled. I'm thinking of Solomon 
in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon wrote, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Then it says, Solomon wrote, I built houses, I bought slaves, I made gardens, parks, pools, I had singers, I had concubines. And then Solomon says this, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Now just let that soak for a moment. Whatever my eyes desired, I, I did not keep from them. <laughs> See, one of, the, one of the benefits of not being as wealthy as someone like Solomon is that I, I wouldn't be able to afford the things I have no business doing. See? And, and after all of that, Solomon says, there was nothing to be gained. There was nothing to be gained. Now, church family, let me just get real here for a minute. It is not hard for me to believe that what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is true for him. See? Not hard for me to believe that at all. I'll tell you what's very difficult is for me to believe that it would be true for me too. See, well, Solomon just must have not done it right, but I would do it right. I would handle it right if I had all of that. You know, keep telling yourself that, Randy. Truth is, there are some things money cannot buy. You know this. You know this in your heart. And money can buy you a bed, but not sleep. Money can buy you a clock, but not time. Money can buy you a book, but not wisdom. Money can buy you medicine, but not health. Money can buy you position, but not respect. Money can buy you sex, but not love. And money can buy you a crucifix, but not a savior. Someone once said that a me-centered more will always give you less. And I wonder, the more we look at the life of Zacchaeus, the more we see what a conflicted man he was. He was Jewish, but he was living like a pagan. His name means righteous, but he wasn't. He's the biggest man in the company, but the shortest man in the firm. His hands were full, but his heart was empty. He had the good life, but was it the true life? Hmm. Anybody here like that? Hmm. Well... Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus. But he was a wee little man. Remember that song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. he was, Luke says he was small in stature. He was a short guy who couldn't see over the crowd. And, you know, they'd never been in his way before. He'd always taxed them out of the way and cheated them out of the way and intimidated them out of the way. Not today. And they're not going to let, they're not going to let him uh, on the front row of the gallery to see Jesus walk by. They're just not, it's not going to happen. And I don't know that, I mean, 
you know, would he actually want to be there if they did? Sure, come on up. We'll stab you in the back. Yeah. Well, how's he going to see Jesus? Because he was seeking to see Jesus. He thought he'd get ahead of the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he found a sycamore tree, a sycamore fig tree. And it's got a huge trunk and low branches and large leaves. And, you know, can you just picture four foot, 10 inch Danny DeVito in a $3,000 suit shimmying up that tree? There you go. Zacchaeus thought he'd be an anonymous face in the crowd, or in this case, in the tree. He sought to see, yet at a distance. He's longing to connect with God up in the cheap seats. He's curious, but he wants to stay anonymous. Can you hear echoes of the Garden of Eden when our spiritual ancestor Adam hid among the trees in the garden? Zacchaeus is drawn to God, yet feels distant from God, and he can't imagine life on the other side of the rope. And then Jesus came, and the crowd nodded up around him, and it was moving along, and Zacchaeus could see his stride, and I picture Zacchaeus you know, leaning over, peeking around one of those leaves, and, and then you know, he's checking the balance on that branch, and he's glancing back down so he doesn't slip and fall, and checks his footing, and then, and then his eyes go back up to see Jesus, and then he stops, and he's trying to focus, and he realizes there he is, and Jesus is looking right at him, right at him. Zacchaeus, how did he know my name? Listen, Jesus knows your name. Zacchaeus, come down. Come down. I must go to your house today. I must stay at your house today. Verse 5, it wasn't a request. It's the only time in the gospel that we see Jesus inviting himself over to someone else's place. And so here you have this short man in a tall tree and somebody that everybody hates. He is the center of Christ's attention. And verse 6 is a clue to where Zacchaeus was spiritually. It says he hurried and came down, and then it says he received him joyfully. Why? Because the guy who had it all found something more. He was joyful. This God-sized hole in his heart was being filled by God himself. And he was joyful. Not everybody was joyful, right? Verse 7 <laughs> says that they, that's the crowd, when they saw this, they all grumbled. Now, you all know what that word means. Remember? Gongusmas. 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 Let's remind ourselves of that on three. One, two, three. Gongusmas. Gongusmas. Actually, this word is dia gongusmas. Dia. What is that? That's gongusmas on steroids. That's what that is. Ooh. Ooh, they were not happy. He is gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So now they're not only grumbling at Zacchaeus, 
but they're grumbling at Jesus. In fact, Jesus intercepts the gongusmas for Zacchaeus. Can you imagine if a well-known spiritual leader had visited the city where Madoff is incarcerated and to the astonishment of everyone around, marched right past all the churches and the universities, right past all the pastors, clamoring for him to address their congregations and past all the journalists dying for an interview and past all the autograph seekers and and mildly curious straight to the prison. And he informs the, the warden that he must have lunch with Bernie. It's his number one priority. And he's not there to castigate Madoff or pick his brain or peel the layers of an onion in a how could you do this kind of way. He's simply there to have lunch and spend time with a guy nobody wants to touch with a 10-foot pole. How do you think all the honest people would respond? Shock? Confusion? Insult, anger. That's what's going on here. Why did Jesus choose to stay at Zacchaeus' house? Well, we've talked about what Luke is showing us with Jesus associating with the invisible and and marginalized. We've talked about that. But I think just simply... (laughs) Jesus chose to stay at Zacchaeus' house because that's where he was welcomed. And Jesus stays where Jesus is welcomed. And if you want him in your life, Jesus knows you by your name. And he knows your heart. And if you want him, well, he wants to come home and be a part of your life. He doesn't just want to be a part of this 75-minute Session, worship time, one day a week. He wants to walk with you. He wants, he wants the driver's seat. He wants to be the undisputed authority in your life because of who he is. He wants more than just 75 minutes a week. And I think when Jesus was meeting with Zacchaeus, I think he did challenge him. You know, Zacchaeus, your best effort got you up the tree. Your best. I want to tell you there's a better way. And I am that way. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And as Zacchaeus experienced both the grace and the truth of Christ, it it just transformed his life. And notice that Jesus did not say to Zacchaeus, look, you've been a cheat, and what I want you to do is march uphill to Jerusalem and go to the temple, and I want you to give offerings and purify yourself and start keeping the law and... Sometime later on my next visit, I'll come back and I'll give you a compliance check. And if you meet my standards, why, I'll forgive you and I just might let you become one of my disciples. That's not what happens. Jesus' loving, gracious presence purified Zacchaeus. Holy meets unholy, transforming the unholy into holiness. As Jesus declared, today salvation has come to this house. Today salvation is in this house because I'm in this house. I am the temple. I am the meeting place. 
In me and through me, Zacchaeus, you are a son of Abraham. You need not go to the temple in Jerusalem. I am the house of God. And this declaration led to newness of life. Listen, change is possible. The Apostle Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. You don't have to be chained to the past. You don't have to be chained to the guilt. You don't have to be chained to the mistakes. You don't have to be chained to the hurts. You don't have to be chained because of Christ and who he is. And, and what you need to understand is gospel news. Jesus does not say, now you get your act together and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you become my disciple. God's never worked that way before. You know back in Exodus, God did not say to the Israelites, now here's the Ten Commandments, start keeping these, and in a couple of generations, once you get good at it, then I'll take you out of Egypt and you can go through the Red Sea and there's the promised land. You know that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God heard the cries of his people and then rescued his people delivering them from 400 years of enslavement and then took them through this watery grave of the Red Sea, rescuing them from a past from which they could not extricate themselves. And then once they were delivered, God said, now let me introduce myself to you. And let me tell you how rescued people live. You see, the declaration comes before the demonstration. And that's what's going on with Zacchaeus here. Today, salvation has come to this house. Oh, he's a son of Abraham because of me. And Zacchaeus is humbled by this, and his heart melts, and... During dinner, Zacchaeus witnesses his deliverer, delivering him from the gongusmas of the crowd. And, and his heart is melted further. And, and then because of Christ's presence, Zacchaeus, you know, this dinner, it's a public event. And so, you know, Zacchaeus looks up and he sees a widow who is homeless. And she's homeless because Zacchaeus took her farm. And then he sees a couple of little orphans, street kids, because Zacchaeus took their inheritance. And then he sees a man who has a little business, but not anymore because Zacchaeus taxed that guy into bankruptcy. And, and that man's son got so angry that he, he protested against Rome and, and the Romans killed his son. And now the man has no business and no son and it's Zacchaeus' fault. But Jesus showed up and now everything looks different, see? Everything looks different. And when Christ comes into your life, you just you'd look at people differently. And finally, I mean, he's just overwhelmed with all of this. And he, he's just overwhelmed and flooded with joy at having been declared a son of Abraham. And, and, and so, now what? Well, 
Now, by grace through faith, you start acting like a son of Abraham. And so that's what happens. He rises from the table. And, you know, if you've ever been to a formal meal and somebody stands up to make a little speech, that's, that's good. there's a deal there. And everybody stops to hear what this hated Hebrew Bernie Madoff has to say. And he says it in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You realize what this means for Jericho? No more cheated widows. No more deprived orphans. No more stealing from peasants. No more impoverished families. Jesus has brought justice to Jericho. And when the good news gets into Zacchaeus, it's good news for everyone. And Zacchaeus didn't give just to feel generous. He gave to lose power. He lost power to empower others. And most of us are blind to the idea that, that money allows you to be in control of your life and it allows you to control the lives of others. But Jesus makes money and power a matter of stewardship. The purpose of power is not for self-exaltation, but for the flourishing of others. Power is so that love can be displayed and love can be shared and love can be distributed. As Jesus is giving love to this redeemed, rescued man right here, the fact is Jesus loves both poor and the rich, even this corrupt tax collector, which leads to the question, do we resent the rich? Are we intimidated by them? Jesus doesn't and isn't. In fact, we could say that Jesus loves the people that Occupy Wall Street hates. Jesus loves the 1%. And let me tell you something. That's a relative percentage. Because church family, compared to the rest of the world, we are the 1%. And if you don't think so, you can whip out your smartphones right now and you can dial up globalrichlist.com. Globalrichlist.com. And you can put the currency denomination and you can put your income and you'll see that you are, that we are. And Jesus loves us. And this is why Christianity is global. Because you see, uh, one historian tells us that expansion of the gospel took place because it attracted all ethnicities and classes. Christianity grew because it appealed to both Jews and Gentiles and Greeks and barbarians and educated and uneducated and male and female and rich and poor. Why would so many from such a diverse background come together as a spiritual family? The answer is Jesus. Jesus. 
whose very presence prompted Zacchaeus to do a fearless moral inventory, to make amends, to then follow through, and then Zacchaeus will go back into his vocation and steward his power. And no longer will this power of tax collection be for himself, but he will put his power under the authority of his king and to the service of others. And when his world sees that, they're going to get curious and they're going to wonder, why are you the way you are? And his answer will be, because Jesus came home with me. Jesus came home with me. Salvation has come to this house. What I want you to see, if you don't see anything else, is this. The day you start looking for Jesus is the day he'll find you. The day you start looking for Jesus is the day he'll find you. This, this campus is our sycamore tree. <laughs> and it's here so that wherever you are and whatever your story, we're here to help you see Christ and let him transform your life. But I want you to know this. The day you're ready to look for him is the day you'll discover all along that he's been looking for you. Because, you see, he's not the one who's lost. Anybody here lost? Jesus didn't come to seek and save the found. And if you don't believe you're lost, if you don't sense any lostness at all, well, I hope you enjoyed the coffee. Really? Christ came for the lost. He came for me, this pastor. He came for you. And the day you start looking for him is the day you will be found by him. And that's what I wanted you to see from the life of Zacchaeus. Well, let me tell you about that second movie. It's the very last scene of Saving Private Ryan. You know, Tom Hanks is the captain, and he's been called upon to get a team of soldiers and go look for Private Ryan to rescue him. His brothers have been killed in World War II, and they're going to get Saving Private Ryan. They're going to get him home, Right? So they finally find him, and they're near the very end of the movie. You remember that part of the movie? Tom Hanks looks at uh, Matt Damon, who, whose character is Private Ryan. He looks at him in the eye. Remember what he says to him? Earn this, yeah, earn this. And it's, it's just a weepy scene, you know, at the end. And everybody who sees it, you know, just tears up. Except the one ranger who saw it, who was infuriated when he heard Tom Hanks say, earn this. 
He was just mad. He said, that, he said, that line made me so upset. And you know why? No army ranger would ever say that. Because the army ranger motto has never been, earn this, ever. The motto is, sua sponte, of their own accord. Meaning, I chose this. I volunteered for this. This is free. You don't have to pay. And not long after Zacchaeus came down the tree, the Romans put Jesus up on another tree. And if you stand near the cross, the one thing you will never, ever hear our king say is, earn this. You'll hear him say, I chose this. And why? For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost.